Welcome to The Drive with Adrian and Melissa, a podcast created to... One more time, I didn't click record. (laughs) Sorry. This is our fifth time, but that's all right because you will be welcomed sooner or later and take six or seven or eight or nine. Can we do one more? Thank you. Okay, I'm ready. Welcome to The Drive with Adrian and Melissa, a podcast created to encourage and empower people in motion, specifically educators and parents as they travel around the world. On The Drive, we navigate challenging questions in work, life, and all the in-between. We definitely don't have all the answers, but we're excited to explore and share the answers we discover during the ride. Come join us on The Drive. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Hey, 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 y'all. It's your sister friend, your auntie, your bestie, Melissa Don, and I am grateful to be here with you, Adrian, and with our drivers. As I was traveling last week from my home in Georgia to my new home in Asia, I realized how similar this moment in my life was to the underground subway. I didn't say underground railroad, (laughs) the underground subway. Therefore, Adrian, I think I'm pulling up to this episode on the subway. Okay. And like the subway, I'm in isolation, below the surface, yet in motion, on the path that was predetermined for me to travel. Like the subway that is set on a predetermined route and operated and cared for by the transit workers, in order for me to function properly during this moment in my life, I'm learning to give total, girl, I said total, did y'all hear that drivers? Total control of the operation of this moment in quarantine this moment in isolation to the leaders mentors and transit workers that god has placed in my life and with god my sister friends and those operating what's going on outside of this quarantine space i'm in i'm able to trust the two-week process inside the hotel inside the quarantine space that i'm in and ultimately I am embracing the ride. Being underground is so different from being underwater. Being underwater, you can jump in that thing and go out, Adrian, and explore because you can go to the left, to the right. You can go down as deep as you want. It's just so freeing underwater. Being underground, you definitely need to have a plan. There is nothing allowing you to freely go underground unless you dug a tunnel, okay? Unless you created some space. The wonderful, amazing space that's already been created with for you, that's already been designed underwater, is not the same space underground. 
underground is compact okay it is got some solids all right let's go to science ladies and gentlemen underwater is free flowing and honey you are in those liquids and so i really appreciate this time underground i really appreciate being under the surface what what kind of transportation are you pulling up in adrian i am pulling up in a go-kart and i'm pulling up in a go-kart because i'm low to the ground moving very very quickly or so it seems because when you're in the go-kart it feels like things are moving really really fast but you know the max speed is maybe 35 or 50 so you're not in reality really going that fast but it really feels like it when you're in it because you can it does feel like it yeah, yeah you know like in it you're like whoa i'm a race car driver and then on the outside it's like well i mean you're a go-kart driver and that's not the same um but you know go-kart races they're every couple minutes they're rolling them out it's a new one it's a new one it's a new batch and so you're um it's fast pace um feeling because of how quickly you can sign up get involved get in get around the track and then get back out which is very different than a race car where you know those uh, events are announced well up ahead of time and there's a lot of prep that goes into it when you do a go-kart race you just you're going and i feel like that's kind of what's um happening right now and today we have some people pulling up in some different vehicles this week melissa let's listen in hey drivers i am so happy to be on the drive with my girl adrian and i am pulling up in my scooter soon to be Scooter, room, room. And the reason I am pulling up in the wind in the scooter is because you know what? I love being able to have the flexibility of just coming and going as I please. You know, I, I just like the flexibility, kind of like where I'm at in my life, you know, flexible. And um, yeah, it just works for me at this point. Weather's nice. And I just want to go for a nice little stroll. Don't have to rush. Can go through traffic. And uh, yeah, keep it moving. Keeping it moving. Hey, I'm Deshaun. I'm pulling up in a Vespa scooter uh, because I am prepared for everything that's in front of me. I'm on the go and I'm agile. Hey, babe. Hope everyone's doing well considering the circumstances. My name's Claudie Tremery and I pulled up in a Ferrari on the back of its tow truck. Um, my Ferrari had a breakdown, which is an analogy for the whole COVID situation. Um, but the positives are that due to a lack of speeding, it's given me the time to refocus and re-energize on what's actually important. So you see, sometimes the guests are pulling up on the same type of vehicle or bring it into just because that's what's needed at the time. So what, what are we getting into today? I know you have definitely been taking lead and um, creating some wonderful, safe virtual spaces for our drivers and for myself while we've all been on our own adventures. So what are we into for today? So Melissa, we're gonna dig into finances. 
We're going to hear from individuals from the U.S., Canada, and South Africa. We're going to hear from experts and those doing their best just to keep their finances in check. We're going to go on a financial journey, learning and relating to each other. This episode on The Drive is going to be exciting because money is such a tough but fun topic to talk about. I'm excited and I'm looking forward to um, hearing what the uh, planners have to say and to uh, gleaning some of their wisdom. I love talking about money. Uh, I think money is um, something that everybody wants but nobody wants to talk about. You're right, money's personal. And sometimes it can be really tough to talk about because how you spend, how you make, what you do with your money is so personal to you. Deshaun actually says this. Like what's more personal than someone's money, right? Because it takes, it's all their time and earnings in the form of paper or fiat currency, right? I think because of how personal it is, we end up being in silos, not talking to each other about it. Kirsten kind of dives into this a little bit. Let's listen in. A lot of us are in the dark. And I think that it's super important to spend some time talking about finance and not just kind of talking about it, but really um, coming together as a community. And when you see someone who is in a position where you want to be, ask questions. And that's what we're doing this episode, asking people who know things about money and asking a few who are just trying to figure it out with us. We definitely need to bring up these conversations. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too, because um, I've been talking a lot about money recently and I understand the more I talk about money, how American my viewpoint is with money. So some of this conversation that we're going to listen to drivers does have a, a very American slant, but I hope that the additional guests who are from Canada and South Africa can give you a well-rounded perspective as we venture in to something that's important to every part of our lives, finances. And I'm, I'm excited because even if, you know, people that are listening globally, even if they aren't American, so some of the things that we say may not necessarily apply, it's still really nice to know. Melissa, I completely agree. So let's put our seatbelts on and dive into this conversation about finances. I'm excited to sit back and listen as I'm learning how to count these coins. Great. Let's meet the guests that we have joining us on The Drive. Hi, drivers. My name is Danielle Dooley. I am a middle school, high school counselor currently living in Shanghai, China. I am going into my third year of being an expat, and I love it. Um, my previous experience is I have 13 years of being in the field of education, starting as a long-term substitute teacher for students with special needs, elementary school, and basically um, getting my undergraduate diploma from the University of South Florida. And then I got a master's of arts in teaching to become a phys ed health teacher. And then I was like, you know what? I belong in counseling. So I'm currently a school counselor, received my second master's at King University in New Jersey. 
And that's where I'm from. Actually, born and raised in New Jersey. My name is Claudie Trimery, and I'm an expat who works and resides in China um, as an English teacher. Prior to that, I worked for us. I worked in the research department for a stockbroking firm, where my duties included compiling an overnight report, which basically covered all aspects of the market from equity markets in South Africa to equity markets in West Africa to equity markets across the board from Asia to Europe to the US, um, commodities, currencies, commodities focusing on precious metals and energy um, and also bonds. It's me, Kirsten Winter. I'm a teacher. I live in Toronto and uh, this is me talking a little bit about my financial journey. Yeah, so I'm Deshaun. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, born and bred. I'm in Shanghai, been here six years. Um, I'm a financial advisor, wealth manager, financial planner. Basically, I just help expats um, in a greater China region just make healthier financial decisions. So that could be anyone who's starting to accumulate wealth or they find themselves with more money than they, um, I won't say more money, but saving more money than they initially expected. Or someone maybe who is maybe deep down in their career and they just realize that things such as retirement planning and uh, planning for the future are really something of, you know, becoming more and more of a priority. Now drivers, this was an important conversation for me to have with you guys. When I left the United States in 2016, I had credit card debt, a medical bill, owed on a grad school class, had a car I had to pay off, and student loan debt. In three years, I paid all of it off while traveling to over 20 countries. So finances and money have been so intertwined with my expat experience. I wanted to dive into this more with experts, but also with people who look and approach life like me. Finances are such a vast and personal topic that we don't seek to cover everything in this episode, rather give you a chance to reflect, look in your rearview mirror and decide, are you being a good steward of your finances? We're gonna start by hearing the actual journeys of expats with their finances. I started in Ottawa, um, teaching in a school there, uh, working part-time and making just enough to make ends meet. And then a year after landing that job, I got a real big breakthrough when I moved to Qatar. Um, one of the richest countries in the world. And I just remember that being the point where I realized um, that I had not made it, but I was living the lifestyle that I wanted to live. I was traveling a lot. I was shopping a lot um, and blazing through uh, money. Just whatever I saw, I wanted, I bought it. I think guitar was the first time I saw how money is freedom. I've had definitely a lot of highs and lows. Um, 
had a high where I reached the goal of being able to put a, a very good amount in my savings account. At one point, maybe we're talking over $10,000 and I was doing okay. I was doing all right. And then the lows were, you know, hey, mom, I got to borrow some money. I owe you. I'll pay you back, you know. So it's been highs and lows throughout my journey. Um, currently, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back up there. I'm getting there slowly but surely. You know, my scooter sometimes goes a little slower, you know. <laughs> but um, it's, it's creeping, it's crawling, and it's, in, and it's rising. According to Career Builder, three out of five American workers are living paycheck to paycheck, unable to meet any major expenses in healthcare or in home and auto repair. Charles Schwab says three out of five Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. No matter if you're talking 60% or 75%, that's a lot of us who are barely making ends meet. I joined Deshaun's book club, and the first book we tackled was Richest Man in Babylon. And it reads, Advice is one thing that is freely given away, but watch that you only take what is worth having. He who takes advice about his savings from one who is inexperienced in such matters, shall pay with his savings by proving the falsity of their opinions. So that's why I went to Deshaun and Claude, those who know money, so that they could help us figure out where we're making our mistakes along this journey. I think the biggest pitfall for most investors is, or the biggest mistake that most investors make is that they jump onto hype stocks. They don't do enough research and they just want to jump on the next best thing hoping that it will be the next microsoft or apple or amazon and to be honest there's loads of opportunities in the markets like i mean you just look at the s p 500 in, in the states that's 500 largest those are like you have 500 large cap companies um then you have then you have your mid caps and then you have the russell 2000 uh, which focus on the small caps. So there's a there's a huge variety of companies that you can choose from. And all you need to do is just do your research, take your time. There will always be opportunities in the market. Don't like don't succumb to the fear of missing out. Um, which and that's what a lot of investors that's the that's the mistake a lot of investors make. Also, another thing is a lot of investors are not patient. So it's Obviously, due to the lack of patience, they want to get rich quick and they chase hype stocks and um, obviously chasing a stock that's overvalued uh, presents bigger downside risk than upside. Okay, so some of the biggest pitfalls I would say investors makes or I would say in general. One, listening to everyone's advice and taking it as it's the right advice for them, because we live in a we live in a data era, right? The internet is a powerful tool, and there's so much information. But just because you Google or YouTube how to invest on the stock market, that person is not looking at your particular situation, so you can't take it to heart. We live in an era where anything is possible and anything you can do yourself, but everyone feels that they should do it themselves, um, and not saying that you should not have financial literacy that if you're an investor that you should not um, be involved in the process but to understand the value of opportunity costs that 
if you spend five years, two years, three years learning how to invest and making horrible mistakes, what would that cost you in the long run as opposed to just maybe having a professional sit down with you? Um, that That's one of the biggest things I see. Uh, another big pitfall I come across is the sexiness of trading versus investing and not knowing the difference. Thinking, hey, I need to buy this one stock, sell it next week and make 25 cents profit on the money, as opposed to what really investing is buying and investing in strong companies and holding them for five, 10 years. And I would say that's a pitfall because we have to understand the difference between trading, which is extremely hard and people do it professionally and that it's not something that you can just do on the fly and get rich. Um, so those are, I would say, the biggest pitfalls. Uh, and a third one I would come across also is offloading your responsibility of taking care of your financial independence today and offloading that responsibility to your later self. There's a over-exaggerated amount of optimism that's saying, oh, I'm only 25 or, oh, I'm only 30 or, or oh, I can do this later. And not knowing that the more or the longer that you offset this responsibility, the greater the pressure will be on your later self, which is extremely selfish. Um, because most people think, oh, I can do it later, or they believe a, a huge windfall is actually going to come later. When actually you should just be doing the small and practical steps now so that you don't have to worry about later. Um, so I would say those are the, those are the top three pitfalls I come across when it comes to investors. You can feel your pitfalls. Even if an expert hasn't told you that it was a mistake, you know it in your heart. Maybe you're just looking through your rearview mirror, but you know that there was a financial mistake that you've made. Oh, um, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> I made quite a few in the past. Just not being mindful of my, my spending habits or rec so reckless spending and just, I honestly have to be very truthful, just not caring. It got to a point I got, I honestly got addicted to like fast food and food and I just stopped caring. And it was just like to the point, I don't care if I'm gonna spend money every day eating fast food for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it was horrible. Like that's not a good, you know, mindset to have. And, it just when you when when I got to that point of just not caring and just knowing like oh I'll get paid and whatever happens happens that's that's dangerous financially very dangerous um so now you know I'm in a better place where I'm just being a lot more mindful where my money goes it's just important to keep track of these things and just you got to be mindful of it when you have an I don't care attitude then that applies to a lot of areas in your life besides financial you know it could be health it could be anything so yeah that was probably the worst part so some of the biggest uh, financial mistakes that I've made have involved not speaking up and not uh, getting enough information to make the right decision or holding back on what I what I what I don't know, like asking the right questions because I don't want to feel stupid, right? Um, I remember, uh, and I don't know why this comes to mind, but I remember a few years ago, my father passed away and um, he had a, 
He didn't have much. He, he drove a bus. He loved his job and I loved him for it. Um, but financially, uh, he didn't have much. Um, so when he passed away, he had a small insurance policy and with it, uh, I was granted some of the policy. And I remember thinking that uh, I wanted to do something important with it. I wanted to do something that would um, be lasting and that would be a legacy. And I wanted to, to, I wanted to buy a home. I remember thinking that. And uh, my father was always someone who was telling me to get the deal and take care of me and make sure that I had what I needed and I know within my heart that if he was alive to see um, what he, what I ultimately um, ended up what what I felt like was a squander of his last gift to me um, I think he would have been sad even the most tragic of times can be financial lessons Death can bring new financial questions. Sometimes our mistakes are wrapped in our own insecurities or ignorance. So drivers, let's cruise through how we can become more financially literate. Okay, well, I'll say for the first one, right, uh, opportunity costs. Read books and I would say get off the internet. Uh, or I would just say understand your knowledge diet that reading all of the news today would not make you an analyst tomorrow because investing is a forever game it takes a lifelong it takes a lifelong wealth of knowledge to become wealthy so it's not going to happen in a week a year it's going to happen over decades so under recognizing that value or recognizing that timeline will really help someone who is just starting and i would say the first step is to pick up a book uh and just start reading because YouTube is cool, not anything against it, but there's just a certain level of thought and detail that a book can offer that a YouTube, a 15 minute video can't. Because when you study versus watching, there's just a whole different application to the way you learn, right? So I would just say start reading uh, books like The Intelligent Investor, Broke Millennial, Richest Man in Babylon, just for a few off the top. Uh, next, I would say meet with a professional. Most financial advisors uh, for retail investors, so everyday middle class or just everyday people, offer free consultations. It's free. It's an hour of time. And it's a, I call it a very honest hour. It can be a bit daunting, but it's like Instead of going to the doctor, people go down a wormhole of WebMD.com and who knows what your situation is versus what's on the internet, right? And I'll just say, take advantage of those free consultations, whether it is online, face-to-face -face, or something like that. But just setting a benchmark and meeting a professional will really, how can you say, narrow your options, but also you can just get some initial advice. Uh, three, be patient and don't think don't think about the end game so much as you should think about what are the most practical steps. So if you know you want to retire or you know you want to buy a property, but you're starting at zero, set practical goals. How can you save 
you know, a thousand dollars over the next three months. That's a lot more practical than thinking I'm going to buy a property in Phuket next year. It's, you know, we can't, you know, we have to walk before we can run and before we can fly. So I would say those are some things we should really um, consider as far as what are some more practical steps um, to overcome these three main pitfalls. So if you are going down the path of financial literacy or financial independence, the three books I would recommend that solve all the issues, I would say Richer Man's Babylon to start off because one, it really, it, it tackles behavioral finance. So it doesn't go into too much of like the details, the numbers or the jargon, but it really just identifies behavioral finance, such as uh, spending more money than you have, uh, listen to people who are not experts in making money. It talks about uh, listening to your friends as opposed to working with a professional. Uh, it talks about uh, not being patient with your money, not investing your money and always spending everything. So it really just does a really good job of simplifying storytelling and giving different case studies about, you know, this person did this and this is the outcome. So if you're just, if you're just starting out, I think it really identifies uh, behaviors that we're all guilty of, you know, trying to get rich, you know, those quick things or things that we all have uh, fall victim to. Uh, broke millennial, I would say is a great second step because one, it appeals to a generation that, you know, I'm a part of and it really identifies certain things, but also offers practical steps and solutions. So it's more, it's beyond theory as in it's very good at saying, tackling, okay, student debt, here are some resources. Uh, saving money, here are some online resources. Um, re your relationship with money and your friends and partner, here's how you should tackle the, these issues. So it really brings up a lot of good and hard to hard topics to discuss, but it also provides solutions. So it's a very solution oriented book. And I think it's not a book that you should just breeze by, but it's a book to reference over and over again. So Broke Millennial, I really stand by, especially if you are already saying, hey, okay, I'm, I'm already motivated. I'm already you know mentally in the space to tackle the, my finances, but I want some practical steps. Broke Millennial would definitely um, address that. Next one, um, The Intelligent Investor, Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Um, he is a Warren Buffett's mentor. So this is like, this is like the holy grail of all investor books. It's heavy, it's deep, it's extremely hard, it's challenging, it's rewarding. It's everything that a financial literate investor, trader, hedge fund manager, they all have read this book. So this is the book for I'm no longer a beginner, but I want to go to the intermediate to expertise level. And if you only have one book to work with, this would be the book to do, honestly. I think those three books, if you say, hey, these are the three books I'm gonna read, those would be the only books you should read. And if you read them once a year, every year, then you will be in a way better financial situation, literally uh, and figuratively. For me, financial literacy is an ongoing process. When I first started, I had to just be honest with myself and say, what am I doing and why am I doing it and where do I really want to be? Then I got focused on my goal and I didn't lose sight of it. 
which included making some sacrifices along the way, whether those were trips, clothes, or eating out. I had to make some changes in my life. You have to budget. Um, at the end of the day, like, I mean, you, you receive a salary. And um, I mean, for us living in China, a lot of a lot of expats are teachers and you get benefits like free housing, um, which obviously gives you more disposable income. Now, with that disposable income, with that extra disposable income, you should actually save it. Um, you should actually save it and start to pay off your debts. Um, I think it's very important to budget. Um, there's nothing wrong with going out. There's nothing wrong with spoiling yourself, but it has to all be sustainable and has to be within reason. So in terms of getting out of debt, you just got to save. Um, I mean, if you if you can cook, it's, it's a whole lot cheaper to stay at home and make a burger at home than the blue frog. Um, and let's say, you don't you not you don't hold any debts but you'd like to grow your finances same thing you know um adopts a frugal lifestyle um obviously easier said than done but you know budgets live within your budgets and allocate funds um so like you know like let's say you make for instance just off the top of my head ten thousand rmb and your expenses come up to two thousand rmb with the eight with the remaining eight thousand rmb you should actually have a game plan for what you're going to do with it so if you have debts like student debt appropriate some of that to student debt whilst also trying to take care like whilst also contributing to a pension product to build for the future because you don't want to end up in a situation where you're 65 years old and you've got nothing to fall back on and you have to continue to work for the rest of your life so with the rest of the money, if, if you don't have debts, um, save it up, contribute to your retirement products, um, contribute to other ETFs, um, invest in property, like there, there's so many options, um, but obviously you have to, the onus is on you to get your finances right and there's nobody to watch over your shoulder to, to let you know that, hey, dude, you shouldn't be doing that. On the drive, we talk a lot about building a tribe. And one member I added to my financial tribe was a financial planner. I looked at him as my financial therapy. You know, we're always saying, go to therapy. And so I needed financial therapy. And every month, I checked in with him. He held me accountable for what I saved, what I still paid off, and what I invested. And I needed that. I needed that accountability and knowledge base to really take me to the next level. Let's listen in on what others have done to increase their financial acumen. Now I'm way more um, diligent with tracking my spending. So I have an app, um, Mint, that I've kind of um, associated with my credit card and my, um, my accounts and I just get constant updates as to where I'm spending my money and um, what I'm doing with it and, and having to kind of hold myself accountable because I want to save uh, at least a thousand dollars from my paycheck every month to be able to get this down payment um, for ready for next summer.
And for anyone who's really struggling with with death, because I have definitely experienced the anxiety of not having enough or not knowing where the next meal is coming from or not knowing how you're going to handle the bills that are going to come. I think the biggest thing is to talk about it. I recently signed up for a financial course so that I could learn a little bit more about mortgages and things like that. And one of my best friends who, you know, owns about four or five properties and um, is very business savvy and very like financially savvy. She told me something that I, I keep with me to this day. She said to me, you got to read. We um, rely heavily on people who don't have the best interest, our best interest at heart, um, telling us the truth about our finances. Um, but to read um, and to begin to gain that own knowledge is, is the key. I would think that that is overwhelming in the sense that I'm an expert in education. I'm not an expert in finance. I don't want to be an expert in finance, but I can learn. Um, I can learn a little bit more. And I think that's what gives me encouragement and courage right now. Not that I'm there, not that I've made it, not that I'm anywhere close to the dreams. Um, I'm definitely still living with my parents at 30 and that's not something that I imagined for myself but I know that I'm going to get there because I learn and I adapt no matter where I started I see myself getting better currently I have a financial advisor and he's, he's awesome he is helping me just you know, take mental notes and uh, just guiding me in the right direction or the best, you know, direction, specifically with the investments. Uh, I never really knew how to invest. So right now that's kind of where I'm at. You know, um, unfortunately, the current, you know, job and position I'm in, you don't really have a pension plan, which is unfortunate. So I'm just having to take my own responsibilities and put aside money to invest uh, for my future and for my retirement. So that's, you know, that's where I'm at. So I just wish I had more maybe knowledge and different options that I knew about. You know, I just, I just knew, oh, you go to college and you graduate and you get a degree and that's it. It was kind of black and white. And, you know, I didn't, again, I didn't have the proper, um, I guess, guidance for people to really tell me different options, so. This next section is for our expat drivers. Some of us started investing well before we went abroad. Now you have questions about what to do. Let's listen in on what you can do when you already started investing, but now you're abroad. Well, you know, it's no, it's more than one. I don't want. It's more than one way to you know climb a mountain, right? So it's really just a matter of everyone's different. Everyone has different behavior. Everyone's like wants different forms of accountability, but. For me, I find that the going cold turkey is never effective, but just the baby steps are a lot more. And 80-20, most people are comfortable with, or even a 90-10. And just saying, okay, in six months, 
this is going to go from 90-10 to 90-15, you know, to 85-15. And as opposed to saying, you need to save 50 percent today. You know, that's daunting. You know, that's terrifying. That's overwhelming for someone who already feels that they're in an overwhelming situation. So it's really about just building that relationship and just building the trust, but also once someone builds that momentum when they're trying to solve their debt or manage their debt, once they get momentum, it's a lot easier for that momentum to, to continue, right? Even though there might be a few missteps, but once the momentum starts, even if someone you know stumbles, they're still moving forward. And that's just where uh, I really try to help people and focus on uh, debt management. Now, the next question was, um, how do you, if someone doesn't have debt or they want to invest, how can they do it? Same principle, living on 80-20. If you are out of debt and you're living on 80, you should be investing 20 and every six to 12 months, 18 months, revisit, increase that number from 80-20 to 75-25 um, and so on and so forth. So it's the, the, the principle, it doesn't change. The numbers don't change, right? Maybe for everyone's individual account, but the overall tactic is the same. It's just that where we allocate it, where we allocate the fund might change, you know, annually or how we break it down. But most people are into simple things, index funds, ETFs, you know, passively managed, buy and hold, nothing trading. And, and, and over the, you know, that first 12 months, 18 months, then we can revisit and say, okay, now we have a little bit more money. What should we do? Okay, let's start saving for a house. So it's really just about building brick by brick and not just saying like, we have to solve all your issues today, but let's just start walking down that path. Um, and I think that's just the best way to do it, right? It's really just 80, 20 and just start there. And as time goes on, that 80, that 20 becomes 30, it becomes 40. And then we can divvy up that 40 into stocks and property, stocks and different currencies and things like that. Um, so I'll say that's how I would want, to, would want to work with someone. I think that across the board, most financial planners uh, would recommend that you contribute to your pension or a retirement product. I think in the States it's called an IRA. Um, Roth or a 401k um, and I think the, the major difference is that in the US investors make use of ETFs more so than uh, the rest of the world where you know unit trusts or mutual funds are more popular um, obviously in the US there's a huge plethora of products um, which can actually help you outperform outperform a certain sector by looking at specific companies with with whilst keeping um costs low or fees i believe that and this is i believe that this is really important for, ex, for expats is that you should if you're saving up you should save up in the currency that you want to retire in so if you if you work in the States, I mean, if you no longer work in the States, but you'd like to retire there, then start saving in dollars or start contributing to funds that are dollar-based. Um, if you're not too sure, you can always go with a mix of like, let's say 50% dollars, 25% euros, 25% uh, RMB, um, if you're not too sure. But the most important thing 
is that regardless of where you are you should always do your research know what you're getting into um and in terms of research i'm talking about looking at company financials um looking at past growth rates obviously checking if those growth rates are sustainable for the future um assessing management um you know so those things are very very important and I think that regardless of where you invest, you should always have a look at, you should always focus on your research because at the end of the day, you know, you, you want to make sure that, that you've got the best, you've got the highest possibility of actually making a good return. Drivers, finances are a part of our everyday and most of us didn't learn much about them until we were adults and likely had already made a few mistakes. Whether you're talking about clearing debt, building your savings, or diving into investing, having honest conversations, growing your knowledge, and finding support is absolutely vital. Honest conversations start with being honest with yourself. Write out all of your debt, loans, and credit cards. What do you have in savings? And what is the value of your investments? Grow your knowledge with reading or getting a financial advisor. Maybe you do both. Find your tribe. Those could be family members, friends, or yet again, a financial planner. Think about the sacrifices you might need to make to get there. No matter where you are, keep looking forward, but learn from what's in that rearview mirror and where you've come from. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment, and until the next episode, cheers. Au revoir, adios, aloha.